Thank you, Gordon and Barbara, for our music this morning. Welcome to those of you joining us on live stream this morning. For us at Faith Baptist Church, this is our first Sunday of the year because of uh, being closed last week. And so I'm asking you to turn to Philippians chapter 2. And we read a few minutes ago verses 12 through 16, which is my text for today. If you're watching on live stream, it's on the screen there. If you're here in our auditorium, uh, the outline is also on your bulletin. The reason I chose this particular passage is because we have selected verse 16 as our motto verse this year for our church. And so you'll see that verse also on the front of your bulletin uh, or on the inside of your bulletin holding fast the word of life so that I may rejoice in the day of Christ that I have not run in vain or labored in vain. So this is a new year, and I want to speak from this passage as we think about this verse for our church this year. This passage also says in verse 15 that we live in a crooked and perverse age, a generation, a time, and certainly that is true. It's always been true for the church, uh, but we see those things around us now. But that verse 15 also says at the end, we're lights in that darkness. We light up that world that we live in, and that is uh, our hope and, and uh, our mission to do. It's one of those therefore passages. You notice the first word of verse 12, therefore, and that takes you back and forward. But when you look back to verses 5 through 11, you see that wonderful kenosis passage about the incarnation of Jesus Christ, how that he himself is our example. I'll say more about that in a minute. And so because of what Jesus Christ did, how he came into this dark world, and the world loved darkness rather than light when he was here because the deeds were evil, right? And so he becomes our example because he was like that, therefore we are like this. Also, Paul is uh, very intent on encouraging this church here at Philippi. You might remember the history of that church uh, from the book of Acts and, and throughout the New Testament. It was a great church. Uh, you remember Paul and Silas being in jail uh, and imprisoned in Philippi for preaching the gospel. And yet here he is writing to this church, talking to them about being the light of the world. So right after our text, uh, specifically in 19 to 24, you see him encouraging Timothy, the young man Timothy, uh, and recommending him to the church. And then in verses 25 to 30, Epaphroditus. And I'm going to point out this morning in a few uh, verses from this book, how he goes back and forth and encourages people and points out things so that he can help them and lift them up as they walk about uh, in the darkness that they were in in that time. Well, what about us in 2022? As we face this new year, we need encouraging as well, don't we? Because we, we get discouraged. And I, I'll point out a couple of things. You know, uh, we see the darkness coming around us and and the therefore has to be for us as well. Uh, God meant it that way when he inspired this book and, and preserved these books for, for us to read. As a matter of fact, I don't think I would be wrong if I said the world is darker now than it's ever been before. As we progress through the age and we progress toward the coming of, of Christ himself, 
there's a lot of problems as we get closer to the Christ to the Lord's return. I read a Pew uh, a poll uh, recently, and it's a very popular one that says there there are fewer uh, even Christians attending church today than there ever been before. Those who even name the name of Christ, and the younger you get in those age brackets, the less they are attending church. And so as the days get darker, uh, we're not doing as Hebrews 10 says, so much more as you see the day approaching. We're gathering together so much less as we see the day approaching. That's not good. Not good for the church and for us. I, I said to our group Wednesday night in our prayer meeting, do, do you know what uh, they have concluded then at the end of 2021 is the number one cause of death in the world in 2021? Abortion. 43 million people died of abortion in this world in one year. The leading cause of death worldwide is what we do to one another is the murder of people in mother's wombs. Isn't that terrible? And then we see, I pointed out also, that uh, beginning this new year, uh, whole nations, for example, Canada, has outlawed conversion therapy even among pastors in Canada, which means even as a pastor in that country, you cannot help someone who claims to be a homosexual and wants to get out of it, who claims to be some other gender and wants to change, you cannot speak to them. It's against the law to do in Canada. And the U.K. is considering a, a similar uh, law to pass there. Can you imagine in these countries that were once influenced by the gospel and so forth? And I have said often, that as we face our generation with this LGBTQ+, plus, uh, I, I think that, that this is an accusation, a finger pointed at God as our creator, saying, I, you are not my creator, and if you are, you made me wrong, and I do not want to be in your, in your likeness, and I do not want to be the male or female gender that you made me, and I'm not accepting it. We have people today saying, well, if that's the way God is, I choose not to worship him. Well, guess what? You don't, it's God who makes the choices around here, not you. And if you make such a choice like that, uh, he's got his choice for you also. This is a, that is a terrible thing. So here we are in the darkness. What do we do? We pray. We pray for our nation. We pray for our leaders. And as we learned this morning in our Sunday school class, uh, prayer avails much. Uh, we need to be people of prayer and pray for our nation. If the Lord's coming is soon, then we know what will happen. If the Lord's coming is not soon, then pray that God would uh, turn things around and give us a little reviving in our bondage and allow the gospel to be freely preached here as well as around the world. We pray for our churches, our leaders, because our churches are hurting all over this country and all over the world. And uh, we pray for ourselves, and we pray that we might be the people, uh, the stewards of God that we should be. Now, having said that, let me go to our passage as you... Uh, open your bulletin and look at the outline, or you have your Bible open to Philippians chapter 2. I have four thoughts here about holding fast, holding forth the word of life. And so let's look at these. Some of them I think are familiar statements, especially these first couple statements. 
we are to work out our salvation. This statement almost seems odd when you say it. Well, let me read verse 12. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, Paul speaking to the church, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Now, we know, we should know anyway, what he means by that. The one thing he doesn't mean, of course, is that uh, you're going to get to heaven by good works, and so be sure you do a whole lot of good works so you can get to heaven. We know that that is not what he's saying, because that would contradict not only the book of Philippians, but the whole uh, Bible. Rather, those of you who have salvation, and those of you who have uh, the the Lord as as your Savior and the Spirit of God living in you, you have some work to do. We don't just sit and do nothing in this dark world that we're in. We work it out. And, of course, verse 13 will say, because God works in. We work out and God works in. He works in us then to help accomplish these things. So, again, verse 12, beginning with that, therefore, goes back to Christ's example in verses 5 through 8. He did not seek self-glory. He was equal with the Father. Uh, He's God. And yet... He made himself of no reputation. (laughs) We work all of our lives on our reputation, don't we? We work all of our lives building ourselves up. He made himself of no reputation. He humbled himself, and he became obedient, it says, and not just obedient to death, but even to the death of a cross. And so he's our example. God exalted him. He's at the right hand of the Father, uh, lifted up on high, and one day God will exalt us too and uh, bring us into his presence. And so because of those things, let's do a few things too. Now, working out our salvation then, that is working because we are saved, keeping the commandments as we, we heard this morning, doing those things that God wants us to do. Let's do it in the presence of some. Let's do it in the absence of some. So Paul says, first of all, Uh, You obeyed in my presence. Again, we go back to the book of Acts. We go to that time that Paul was there in Philippi. Uh, He received that Macedonian call, and and, and God brought him over to Philippi, and he ministered there in a wonderful way and established a great church and ended up in jail, (laughs) which was Paul's M.O., you know, coming in, preaching the gospel, establishing a church, being put in jail, and having to to, uh, leave town. Because uh, that was just uh, what happens in a dark world uh, often. So here he was in, in Philippi in his presence. And, of course, when the apostle is there, when the apostle Paul is your preacher, when, when he's the one meeting with you and teaching you uh, the Scripture and teaching you how to pray and showing you by his example, oh, it's easy to obey. It's easy to do those things that God wanted them to do. So he had concern for his church. Just flip back and forth a couple pages with me and and, uh, remind you of these things. In chapter 1 and verse 1, Paul and Timothy, servants of Jesus Christ, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi, the bishops and the deacons, all of you, the pastors and the deacons and all of you people, I'm, I'm concerned I'm writing to you. If we go all the way to chapter 4 and verse 17 to the very end of the book, he's still saying, now, not that I seek a gift, 
but I seek the fruit that will abound to your account. I, I want you to, to walk with the Lord. I want you to have rewards for your life on this earth. I want fruit that will abound to your account. And that's why I'm doing it. So he's got this concern for the church as a whole. I'll refer you to chapter 4 a couple different times. Uh, but therefore, my beloved, chapter 4, verse 1, and long for, brethren, my joy and crown, stand fast in the Lord, beloved. And notice how he names two of the ladies in the church. I implore Euodia, I implore Syntyche, to be of the same mind in the Lord. If he were here, would he not mention your name and my name and say, I, I want you to be of one mind in the Lord. I want you to uh, stand fast in the Lord. I think he would. I think he would say that. My mind goes back to Philippians chapter 16 where he met Lydia. You remember Lydia, the seller of purple? Uh, probably a well-to-do businesswoman of the first century. She becomes one of the first converts in Europe to, to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. And then the next person he meets is a slave girl. He goes from the top of the strata to the very bottom. And this slave girl, demon-possessed and, and, and doing what her masters wants her to do. And, and she becomes converted. And then you go to the Philippian jailer of a government worker, you know, on punching the time clock, and he becomes uh, a, a convert. And so all of those people were walking in, in his presence and doing well. That's why we go to church. You know, I, I, I know that people often say, well, you know, Christians, they go to church on Sunday and then on Monday, they seem to forget what they were doing on Sunday. And I say, well, then praise God for Sunday. You know, if, if that's the case, then we need to be here. Look what we're doing. Look what you're doing on the Lord's Day. Look what you're doing on Sunday. Praise the Lord for this. In one another's presence. Not just in the preacher's presence. I mean, uh, you know, but all of our presence. We come together and we do these things because it's right to do. It's the thing we should do. I remember um, one older writer saying, you know, why, why is it that when you pray, you get on your knees? Why is it that you close your eyes and bow your head? Why is it you close your hands sometimes? Why is it you do those things and you're so vulnerable in a position like that? Because of your respect for God your Father, that's why. And then he said, Shouldn't you be like that more often? <laughs> I mean, if, if that's the right way to be when you come before God, shouldn't we be like that more often? Well, if this is the way we should be when we come to worship the Lord in the church around one another's presence, then it's what we ought to be more often. So praise the Lord for these times also. But Paul also says not only in his presence, but in the absence also. So he says not only my presence only, but now much more in my absence. Now, where was Paul? He was in jail, <laughs> typically, you know, of Paul. But he's in Rome this time. He's under house arrest uh, for two years. He can't leave. He's still got chains on. But he can 
uh, write letters, and he writes uh, Colossians and Ephesians and Philippians and Philemon all while he's there in that in, in under house arrest in Rome. So he can't be there. He would love to be in that church. So he says, I'm going to do the next best thing. I'm going to write them a letter that God inspires by his spirit so that when they get it, they're reading the very word of God. But, but he, he can't be there. But he says to them, so much more work out your salvation. More than when, uh, than when uh, I was with you, do it more in my absence. In other words, folks, live more for the Lord tomorrow morning than you do this morning. When, when no one's watching, when no one takes you into immediate accountability, God always is. The Holy Spirit is always present with you. So much more, he says, in my absence. <clears throat> you see that word working out. It's a, it's a term also that is used in that ancient literature of working. For example, mining. They did a lot of mining in the mines. We, we have done that in our country and around the world too. Can you imagine someone digging into the mountainside to look for gold or silver or ore or whatever? It's not easy work, is it? I mean, you're digging, you're uh, digging against rock and, and, and hauling it out and all of that. Same word could be used here. The other way it's used is agriculture. No, think of what a farmer has to do early in the season and then all season long and all summer long just so that he has a crop <laughs> next October or so. Think of all the work he has to do. This term can be used in context like that. And so he says, you as a believer, work out your own salvation. You do this. It's hard work. It's long work. The reward comes at the end, but let's do it. And not only that, I like the expression, your own salvation. Now, God gives you salvation, but it is yours. You have it. It's your gift. And yet, my thought is this. In a way, you're your own minister. I heard Gordon say in the Sunday school class this morning, yeah, he's just the coach, <laughs> and I'm just the coach. And people that teach or preach or, you know, lead us all in some kind of a study, but when it comes right down to it, it's our responsibility, isn't it? We're, we're our own minister in so many ways. You have to make sure the word applies to you. You have to make sure you hear it. You have to remind yourself. You have to tell your soul, oh soul, are you weary and, and troubled? You have to remind yourself of these kinds of things. And so uh, you minister to yourself. As a matter of fact, the New Testament is full of imperatives. Those are commands in, in that language, full of imperatives. You've got to read it. I, I want to do a few for you. Go back to chapter 1 and verse 9 again. Chapter 1 and verse 9. Here you go, ministers of the gospel. This I pray, that your love may abound still more and more in knowledge and all discernment, that you may approve the things that are excellent, that you may be sincere and without offense until the day of Christ, which he will say a number of times in this book. You being filled with the fruits of righteousness, which are by Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. 
Look at chapter 1, verse 27, then toward the end. Let your conduct be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of your affairs that you stand fast in one spirit with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. You're the minister of that, not just me. I'm reminding us of that right now, but you've read the book of Philippians, haven't you? You've read these words before, I think. Chapter 3, verse 15. Therefore, let us, as many as are mature, have this mind. And if anything, uh, in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal even this to you. Nevertheless, to the degree that we have already attained, let us walk by the same rule. Let us be of the same mind. Brethren, join in following my example. And note these things, and so walk as you have uh, us for a pattern. You see that there's an example, there's a pattern, but, but you're the minister of these things. We could repeat that over and over again in this book. So, let's not be hypocritical. When we leave church today, and we wake up tomorrow morning, on Monday morning, maybe you're going to go back to work. Maybe you're going to go back to school. Maybe you're going to go back into some kind of tough environment that is really hard to live the Christian life in. Whatever it is, work out your own salvation in the absence of one another, in the absence of those who remind you, in the absence of a pastor or a deacon, uh, in those days even of the apostle himself, and work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Let's not be hypocritical. Let's be workers of the gospel. So, work out your own salvation, number one. But number two, why? Notice, notice uh, the verse begins with for, F-O-R. Why? Here's the reason why. It is God who works in you. You have a partner. You have someone who empowers you. You have, you have the God of all creation helping you. So it's God who works in you both to will and to do his good pleasure. Those are great thoughts, if, if, if you will. And let me remind you of similar thoughts in the New Testament. Matter of fact, starting in chapter 1, verse 6 of this book, being confident of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it unto the day of Christ. There's that day of Christ again like we have in verse 16. 1 Thessalonians 5, 24 he who calls you is faithful who also will do it. And 1 Corinthians 1.8, who will also confirm you to the end that you may be blameless in the day of the Lord Jesus Christ. He is in you, he's working in you, and he will finish his work in you. As a matter of fact, he won't let you die until he's done doing that. And then he'll finish his work in you. So, uh, here you are, uh, God working in you with, with all of this, and notice that it isn't God that does everything or that you that do everything, but you're to work out because God is working in. In other words, we are co-laborers in 2 Corinthians 6.1. We're workers together with Him. We work together with him in these things. Now, I have two words there, you notice, consistency and, and inconsistency. Here's, here's my thought about that in this verse. God works in you, 
And God will always be consistent. God will never fail. He, he will never fall down on his end of the bargain, on his end of the job. But the inconsistency comes in our part. So, because we are both to will and to do his good pleasure, and sometimes we do and sometimes we don't. So what's the weak link in this? Not God necessarily, but you. Let me remind you that, that God will always be uh, consistent. And how is it that he will always be consistent? What would, we, what would we list if we began to list those things? We would list his word, wouldn't we? We would say that the word of God never changes. The word of God is always true. The word of God is for you and for me and for every generation of believers, no matter what dark world or generation they live in. It is God's word. You can trust it. You can believe it. You can do it. As a matter of fact, we're commanded to do it. His word will always be the same. Secondly, uh, his will will always be the same. His will will not fail you. His will that is mentioned here in this verse, both to will and to do his good pleasure, his will will always be consistent for you. You don't say, well, uh, I'm doing something contrary to God's word, but I think it's God's will for me. You, you can never say that as a believer. He's always consistent in his will with his word. And thirdly, He's consistent because of the Holy Spirit that lives within you. So that Holy Spirit who is inside you is leading you, convicting you, pushing you, teaching you, and he never contradicts himself. As a matter of fact, we learned this morning, he reminds, he guides, he reveals, and he anoints. All of those things he does inside us constantly. And we could go on to other attributes of God like his love, his care, his, his holiness, his forgiveness. All of those things are always consistent. He never uh, misses a beat in all that he does. So why is it we do what we do? Why is it we live as we live? Is it God's fault? No. It's the inconsistency on our part, isn't it? And so that's my point as though God works, we follow. It's God who works in you both to will and to do his good pleasure. We're supposed to will and do. We're supposed to work out our own salvation the same way that he does that inside us. You know what? Good people make bad decisions. <laughs> who was it that said we spend uh, half of our life uh, trying to uh, make uh, or, or making bad decisions, we spend the other half of our life trying to make decisions right. And, that, and that's what we do. Notice, notice in chapter 1, verse 16, uh, 15 and 16. Some indeed preach Christ even from envy and strife, and some also from goodwill. I mean, these are guys, these are leaders in the church at Philippi. Well, Philippi and Rome, where he's speaking. The former preach Christ from selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing to add affliction to my chains. The latter out of love, knowing that I'm uh, appointed for the defense of the gospel. What then? Not only in, in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is preached. In this I rejoice, I will rejoice. There are some people who are preaching and not doing it right. Preaching with the wrong motive. They're just good people who do things the wrong way sometimes. Look at chapter 3 and verse 18. 
For many walk of whom I told you often and now tell you even weeping, they are the enemies of the cross of Christ, whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly, whose glory and their shame, who set their mind on earthly things. They're doing wrong. And I pointed out to you two ladies in chapter 4 and verse 2, Euodia and Syntyche, that they're just at odds with one another. They're just mad at each other or have some kind of a problem with each other in the church. I'm just saying there are all kinds of people doing the wrong kinds of things. And that's you and me often too, isn't it? That, that we're the inconsistent ones, not God. How do we know when we get inconsistent? How do we know when we get off track a little bit? Well, one is that conviction that the Holy Spirit brings to you. If the Holy Spirit lives within you and we have commands of his to keep and we don't keep them, what happens inside our rib cage? That bothers us. We don't sleep at night. Everything that we see reminds us of that thing that we're doing or that thing that we did. That conviction reminds us. We have a lack of assurance sometimes. Did you as a believer ever say, how can I be saved? When you say, you know, I, I, I thought I would be perfect after I got saved. I thought I would never sin. Look at me. I do. How can I be a Christian? Well, we have that lack of assurance, not because you aren't a Christian, but because sin takes away that assurance. We have a loss of power. And you find out that your words don't go anywhere, that your witness isn't very powerful, your speaking isn't, and you, you lose that power. And praise the Lord for admonitions from other people. So I'm your pastor. I'm admonishing you today. But again, you're your own preacher. You admonish yourself. And the others speak words of encouragement, of, of admonishment to you. Praise the Lord for those kinds of things. Now, Paul was absent. And so Paul wasn't there to say, hey, you quit doing this. You stop doing that. You stop talking this way. He would have if he had been there. And, and that would be right. But when he's absent, then we kind of wobble and we kind of get involved in things because we don't have the brethren around us. I, I remember someone saying, you know, it's a strange thing. A pastor was saying in my church that uh, when things are going well with people, they're always right there, always in church. And when things start going wrong for them, I don't see them. He said that's exactly when they need church. When you begin to wobble, we need to be around other people to straighten ourselves out and to, and to do right. And yet it's in a, in a Christian habit uh, that when we're not walking with the Lord, we're out of church. How backwards can that be? You know, sometimes it seems God is absent. I said seems because, of course, he never is, and he's always near us. But you know what? We become little atheists now and then, too. The fool hath said in his heart, there is no God. Well, that fool can be a Christian sometimes. I'm going to go ahead and do this. I know God doesn't like it, but I don't see him around. He didn't do anything to me. And we go ahead and do something that we shouldn't do. Sometimes God uh, is absent, it seems like, and that's why we wobble. We say to God, well, people fail me. They shouldn't fail me. Sometimes we say to God, well, you failed me. You said you would do this, and you didn't. Sometimes Satan wins the battle in our heart, and that's what causes us to wobble. 
As Jesus said to the disciples in the garden, I know the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak, isn't it? You want to do right, and then you don't. And so he's the one that is consistent. We're the ones that are inconsistent. And we learned a good lesson in the, in the class this morning. Again, how do we do it? Reading the word every day. How do we do it? Being on our knees, praying every day. We, we stay in this working out. We stay in that mode. If you were working out physically, if you, if you were on some kind of exercise routine, you do that once a month? You know, do professional ball players go work out once a month and then come back and play their game? No. Every day, all the time. And that's what we need to do when we're working out also. So, working out and God working in, go a couple further steps with me. In verses 14 and 15, we do that while we're on the earth. And in verse 16, we do it because one day we will be in heaven. That's why we work. So while on the earth, back to verse 14, notice now the, the applicational uh, language here. Do all things then without murmuring and disputing that you may become blameless and harmless the children of God without fault, in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world. And so, while you're on earth, what is, what is the duration of your workout? <laughs> you know, we say, I'm going to start exercising. And we get into about three to four to five minutes, and we say, oh, this hurts. <laughs> I can't do this. And we stop. The duration of our workout is while we're on this earth. The duration of our workout is as long as we're here and until the day of the Lord Jesus Christ, we work out. We do these things. In, and, and we do it in this perverse and dark age that we live in. Notice uh, the negatives and the positives. So verse 14 is kind of the negatives and verse 15 more the positive. Do all things and do them without murmuring and disputing. Well, the word murmuring could be the word grumbling. It could be the word complaining. It could be the word grudging. How about backbiting and gossiping? Those things are all in that word murmuring. And, and it's easy for us to do. It's, it's a simple thing that we don't think much about and we end up being grumblers and complainers all the time in our lives and disputing without disputing dia and lagos dia lagos we get our word dialogue from it in other words always talking always kind of backbiting always disputing this word and this word is used of of, uh, of uh, having evil thoughts or doubtful disputations. Remember those, uh, those kinds of words? All come from this dialoguing. Maybe we're talking back to God. Maybe we're talking back to ourselves. Maybe we're talking back to the Holy Spirit. That, that disputing we seem to do all the time. So, so these negatives, how many negatives could Paul have put here? Maybe the church at Philippi needed these two especially. Maybe we do also. And you know what? Doing it without murmuring and complaining is hard work. It's hard work. You know, the Bible says also that we're not supposed to murder. We're not supposed to rob. 
and I tell you the truth, I haven't murdered anybody this week. And I haven't robbed a bank this week. And you know what? It wasn't really hard for me to keep from doing those. But how about murdering, murmuring and complaining? Oh, that's harder. We laugh around my house because, you know, I, uh, I get older, but, you know, I, I, I don't complain about it too much, but I'll get out of a chair and I'll go, Ugh. <laughs> I'll, come, I'll come upstairs and I go, oh, ow. You know, and, I, and, and Anne will say, what's wrong? I'm just murmuring. You know, just, just let me be an old man and, and complain as I move around, as I, my old joints move. Well, sometimes we're just like that in the wrong way, and uh, we just let those things go on in our lives, and we shouldn't. All right, so there's the negative. And then notice these positive things, that you may be blameless. How many times does that word appear in the New Testament? Harmless. Come back tonight for tonight's message where the Apostle Paul talks to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 2 about being uh, meek uh, and mild leaders among God's people. Blameless, harmless, without fault, he says in, the, in these. Uh, in what? In the midst of a crooked and perverse generation. Well, Lord, if it were easy, I'd do it. If nobody was against me, then I would live for you. No, they, they, you never will find such a time as that. You remember uh, the, in Acts 2.40 uh, that, that Peter was preaching at Pentecost, and he said, save yourselves from this, the old word, untoward generation, this perverse generation. Save yourselves from it. Work out your own salvation. Peter was preaching that at Pentecost. Paul's preaching that at the end of his life. We constantly have to do that. If Jesus came and brought light to this world and, and the world loved darkness rather than light because their deeds are evil. So notice the light at the end of that verse because you shine as lights in the world. Ephesians 5, 11 through 13. Have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, rather expose them. It is shameful even to speak of those things which are done of them in secret. And there's a lot of those kind of things today. But all things are exposed, are made manifest by light. Whatever makes manifest is light. 2 Corinthians 4.4, 4, In whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ should shine unto them. Satan has blinded their minds and kept them in darkness because they know where the light comes from. And if the light of the glorious gospel of Christ gets to them, that light will break up that darkness, and Satan doesn't want that. So you shine as lights in this world. Uh, that's a great thing. Don't curse the darkness. Turn on the light. And let it shine. The light of the gospel is very powerful. So while on earth, that's our responsibility. Secondly, when we get to heaven. Well, holding fast the faithful word of life in verse 16. So that you may rejoice in the day of Christ. That I've not run in vain or, or labored in vain. So I say now and then. We're anticipating it now. We're holding fast this, this word of life. This, this word of life, uh, even the Lord Jesus uh, came, you know, in him was life, and the life was the light of men. 
the Logos himself, the Word, was life, and in that life there was the light of men. And that light is in us. We have it also. So Paul said in Acts 13, in verse 46, he said, Paul and Barnabas grew bold and said, It was necessary that the word of God should be spoken to you first, but since you reject it and judge yourselves unworthy of everlasting life, we turn to the Gentiles. The word is the word of life. Some will accept it, some will reject it. But when it goes out, it has life-giving characteristic in it. And it may affect someone at any time. And then in verse 48, when the Gentiles heard this, they were glad and glorified the word of the Lord. And as many as appointed to eternal life believed. Those in life believed. And so this word has life in it is what I'm saying here. Now, notice then, not only now, but why do we do it? He says that this is the reason why so that I may rejoice in the day of Christ. I have not run in vain or labored in vain. And you want to rejoice in the day of Christ. I want to as as an admonisher, as a preacher, as a pastor, anybody. You you want to for your children. You want to for your class. We all want to rejoice. And we want to rejoice for ourselves also in the day of Christ. Don't take that statement lightly. He said it already in chapter 1 in this book. Paul will repeat this over and over let me give you a few in philippians chapter 1 verse 6 being confident of this very thing that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it unto the day of jesus christ and then again in verse 10 he says that you may approve things that are excellent that you may be sincere and without offense until the day of christ first corinthians 1 8 who also will confirm you to the end that you may be blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. Deliver, 1 Corinthians 5, 5, Deliver such an one to Satan for the destruction of the flesh that he may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. Now what is he referring to? He's referring to when Christ comes at the rapture. He's referring to that time when we will see Christ. And, when, and we are looking for him and we are waiting for him. We had a great pastor's discussion at a pastor's lunch this last Tuesday about those two words. Do we really believe those words? Does it say to us that the coming of Jesus Christ is imminent? Are we to be actually looking for the Lord Jesus Christ, Titus chapter 2, looking for that blessed hope? Are we to be, notice chapter 3, verse 20 of this very book, eagerly waiting For our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, yes, looking and waiting for the day of Christ. And you know why? Because that's when we go to the Bema seat. That's when we go and the working out of our salvation is finalized. And we see what our rewards are and what our rewards are not. We see that what we've done actually brought fruit or we see that it's wood, hay, and stubble and burnt up. And so we're to be doing this until the day of Christ so that, he says, when we get there at the Bema seat of Christ, it's not all in vain. (laughs) You remember that great verse, 1 Corinthians 15 and 58? My beloved brethren, be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. For as much as you know, your labor is not what? In vain in the Lord. So, folks, this is a good place to start for our new year. We're light in the world. 
I, one of the things I remember as a child on family vacations is that we used to go to caves all the time. You know, uh, we, th there are some wonderful caves in this, in this land. We, we, would, we went to Carlsbad Cavern in New Mexico. I remember Mammoth Cave in, in Kentucky, Merrimack Caverns here in Missouri. And, uh, you know, the, uh, my grandparents used to take us to some smaller ones like Crystal Cave and Fantastic Caverns down around Springfield and all. And, and I, I always thought it was amazing. I, I loved to go in there. Maybe my parents were trying to lose me in there. I don't know. But, but they always took us to those places. And, and you know what? We all here in Missouri, we like to go down to Branson and go to Silver Dollar City. And, and if you do that, one of the attractions, one of the things you can do while you're down there is go to Marvel Cave. And, and it's a beautiful cave. It's a great walk through there. And if you're down there and it's 95 degrees and 95 humidity, that 60 degrees <laughs> and cool air in that cave doesn't feel so bad, does it? But you know, one of the things that, that they do in caves, and they do this at Marvel Cave, I know, is they'll get you way down there. You're thousands of feet below, below the ground. And they'll get you all in an in a area where you're together, and they turn the lights out. You remember that? That, that is a, a weird sensation. Because even at your house, when you turn the lights out, it's really, they're really not out. I mean, you can still get around. When you're down there and they turn the lights out, I mean, you see nothing. You can put your hand against your face and you can't see it. And so there you are in that darkness. And then that, that leader that's, that, that's leading you has a little pin flashlight, you know, not longer than this, a little skinny thing. And he turns that light on. And, man, that one little light just brings life again to that dark place. Remember that feeling? I, I always remember that at Marvel Cave because they always do that right there in that, same, in that same place every time. And I thought to myself after reading this passage, this is a dark world. Satan has blinded the minds of them which believe not. They cannot see. And you say to yourself, but Lord, I don't count much. My witness isn't very big in this world. I don't, I don't have a lot of people I know. I, I don't know how to say very much. And he's saying, you've got a little pin light, just push that button. Just light that much up. Because that powerful little light will light up the room. And, and that is what your testimony is like. That is what you are like shining in this dark world. It doesn't matter how small it may seem to you. It is bright and it is powerful. Let's keep shining that light in this world that we live in. It, th this world needs us, and we'll be holding fast the word of life that we may rejoice in the day of Christ in this year of 2022. Stand with me, if you will. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Let's think about these things and ask him to bless our hearts as we sing a song of invitation. Father, thank you for the word of God. Thank you for the consistency of your love and grace, your word, your spirit, the conviction of our hearts. Oh, Father, help us to be good ministers of your word to ourselves and to this world. And Father, I pray that you would give us a certain confidence that we need in your word, in the light of the world, that we might speak the name of Christ, that we might speak your word, that we might be those servants while we're here, while we're in this dark place, because the world needs it so much. 
So, Father, speak to our hearts in the way that we need from this passage. And as we see it on our bulletin every week, and we're reminded of what we are, lights in a dark world, I pray you would help us to be that in this year that we live in. So bless in this time. Speak to our hearts, even as we sing a song of invitation and invite you to convict us. Do your will in our hearts. We'll thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to sing a song of invitation. Gordon will come and lead us. You respond to the message in the way the Lord is leading you.